Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code presson25 at checkout for 25% off impress manicure and presson falsies. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. And welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. And we've got a great guest coming up today to talk about friendship. But first, Jen, I thought I'd check in and see how you are. I'm okay. I'm okay. I, you know, I'm in the evolution of my life as a professional. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the evolution period, but in my evolution of a life as a professional. And I'm really just trying to call more shots and not ask for permission as much, not behave like an employee, like looking for a boss's approval all the time. Yeah. Um, And just really sort of own that, like own what my value is, own the work I want to do and the work I don't and, you know, make decisions that I think are right. And like I said, not ask for permission and, you know, rather ask for forgiveness later. So that's how I am. You know, uh, One of the best pieces of advice I ever got before I went to go work at Condé Nast was don't expect compliments. The compliment was that they hired you. Yes. And I think that we at work, we seek out so much validation. We want to be good girls. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of us, not everyone, but like some of us want to be good girls and we want to be liked and we want our work to be liked and we don't want to get in trouble. And it's like, you know what? Fuck it. Especially if you're a freelancer and they've signed a contract with you, like you're going to turn in the work. You don't have to like ask so many questions. You turn in the work and you show up and you show your skills. And so that's sort of what's, what's been on my mind lately is like, you know, really owning my, owning my knowledge, owning my, my good instincts and trusting them, you know? God, I think that's so important to do as you get older because you immediately think you're a step out of step the older you get. Yeah. And that it's, and that there's something about it that's irrevocable. And in some ways there is something about it that's irrevocable because you've lived enough time to see everything that's happened and to see some things repeat themselves and whatever. I think you're right. But I think that also the cowering, like the the Mm self-consciousness of age and the cowering, it's in a way like you're creating your own story. You are, I don't know, I forget who said this, but you know, you're telling people how to treat you. 
Yeah. And if you cower, if you over explain, you send these long ass emails, you update it, you over update, you know, mm-hmm. all of those things you do to make somebody to try to ensure that the project's going to go well, that the person's going to like you. Like part of this is just doing less is just being like, nope. And doing what doing precisely what you set out to do. Yes. Yes. Yes, whatever the project is. And then also having clarity. You have so much wisdom as you get older. So like having a real clarity over what the job is so that you are not exploited in the work. You know, I Mm -hmm. feel like that happens. Like I do very, very uh, precise scopes of work now. And I say, this is what this job is from my perspective. What do you think? You know, um, Cause I don't, I don't want mess. And I also don't want to have conflict with people if I can avoid it. I want to have a, I don't want to, obviously you're going to have conflict when you're doing creative projects, but, or any projects, but I want to minimize that conflict as much as possible. And some of whatever's in my control. Would you say that in your life, you've been a conflict avoidant person or a conflict positive person? (laughs) Oh, come on. You know the answer to that. I have to ask. You were my boss for like seven years on and off. I have been a fucking ram into conflict and that has been a real problem for me because it's been like a trigger and knee jerk. I have to get an answer right away. I'm super reactive. I mean, we've talked about this and I really try to avoid it as much as I can. But part of it is I understand that if you give somebody too much information, a boss or a client, they're going to feel an obligation to give you feedback. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I remember when I learned whenever I was handing in a piece to not say, the lead could be a little stronger and I'm not sure about the second to last paragraph and I may repeat this word too much. Just send it in. Just send send it it in with no note. And let them decide what it's about. Stop cowering. Stop apologizing for yourself. Like, this is the shit we're too old for. And, yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. So anyway, I had a situation this week that came up and I was like, fuck this. I'm not doing it like this. (laughs) So it's nice to sometimes feel that. I don't always. I feel, as we've discussed, I think confidence is a, is a, um, waning. It comes, it comes and goes and waves. Um, but anyway, that's what's on my mind and how I'm doing this morning. How are you? Fine. I'm fine. Yeah. You know, a little bit in a mood today, bad mood yesterday, really, really down. Um, but but, that bounced back. You know, I think part of my problem is I can't find a good TV show. Oh my God. I'm watching euphoria like in earnest. Okay. Have you gotten, how far did you get in? I got as far as I could, which was about three episodes. Even as a childless person, I found it terrifying. It's not just that it's terrifying. It's as an older person, I don't know how other people feel about this. I feel like a pervert. I feel like a pervert (laughs) watching these young people. I really do. I'm like, ah, I'm not supposed to see this. (laughs) I feel like a voyeur and a pervert. And I also feel like it has a little bit of Larry Clark kids vibes. And I feel like predatory a little bit. I feel like whoever the creator is, and I don't know, I I haven't read enough about it because I haven't gotten to season two yet. So I'm trying not to spoil myself, but 
I know there's a little controversy around it. And I think he seems like there's something fucked up and wrong about the creator because it does have that, for me, that real Larry Clark, like, like it crosses a line. It crosses a line. Like, oh, this is a little bit exploitative. It feels like a little bit like some like Game of Thrones kind of misogyny, like, Mm -hmm. you know, torturing women. Like, I, I don't know. There's something not right about it, but I can't stop watching it. I need, I need to know. Um, I need to know. It feels like cultural currency at this point, And it also feels like a window into a, a world that I don't totally understand. Yeah. But I don't oh. know if that's the show for you. I don't know, I don't know if it's the show for me. Um, I've been very disappointed in um, The Gilded Age, which I was oh. looking forward to. Oh, no. Why? B- b- boring? Poorly written? Boring boring a little boring you know i watched all i never watched downton abbey and then i watched all of it during quarantine downton abbey is amazing and i thought it was a great show for quarantine because you could pretend that they were in quarantine in their big house too (laughs) which i kind of did and they would occasionally have visitors it's true but like it worked for me um but this doesn't have the snap that that has somehow it just doesn't like i can tell that you know, Julian Fellows must have known his material backward and forward to do Downton Abbey. Yeah. And I just don't think he, you know, maybe because he's not American, he just can't get the spirit right in this one. Yeah. 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 That's a bummer. That's a bummer, especially because it, it seems like it would be so immersive visually, you know, and like something that you could just kind of get lost in. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was, I was disappointed by that and I didn't watch the whole episode. But I was very disappointed in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I don't know if you ever watched. I can't. There's like a, there's like a, they break into song, right? (laughs) (laughs) Not really. But it's, but I know what you're, I know what you're referring to. And it it doesn't, when I thought about Romolini and Marvelous (laughs) Mrs. Maisel, I realized those two things were never going to come together. There's like a hokum to it or something. Like, I don't even know if that's the right word. It's like hokey. It's not hokum. It's hokey. I don't know. I mean, people love that show. I have on deck next um, Station Eleven I'm interested in. I think that's supposed to be really good. I watched the beginning of that and might return to it. Okay. That's my that's my next one. And then, you know, Better Things is coming back. Oh, so glad. So glad. Better Call Saul is coming back, which is amazing. Um, I, I don't True. know if you ever got into that. That's an incredible yeah. show. I did get into Better Call Saul. I'm behind on it. I, I haven't watched all the seasons. That's a good thing to catch up on. That's a that's a really that's a that's an unexpectedly enjoyable show. I find I feel very very um, connected to and invested in those characters. I, mm-hmm. Kim, the actress who plays Kim, I I think that that. I think that she is amazing and underrated and she should get a lot of awards. By the way, speaking of Kim, I was thinking about our names the other day. I was thinking about things that age me and I was thinking (laughs) that no one is named Jen anymore. (laughs) No one is named Jen and certainly no one is named Kim. No, there was like a, these are the most like 70s names and like, or 60s for you, but they're like of a time there. This there's like, Everyone my age is named Jennifer. And then after that, no one is no, named Jennifer. No, it's a name like it's a name like Barbara or Doris <laughs> or 
Miriam was when we were growing up. I also think our two last names, like our mothers must have gone on the list of the top 10 names for that year because we both have the most common names in the world, especially for some reason, I don't know as many Kims as I did in Texas. Texas was a very Kim happy place. Well, there's that. My mother wanted to name me Prudence because she really liked the Beatles song, Dear Prudence. Mm-hmm. And it I was real it was real close. It was real close. And somebody said to her, You can't you can't saddle a kid with that name. And I've often thought how different would I have been as a prudence? <laughs> as a as a prudy. I feel like you would have been a a, a prue and it would have been very misfortunate. <laughs> Unfortunate. Did I just say misfortunate? Misfortunate. Unfortunate. <laughs> I, all of it. All of it would have been bad. Um, I was almost named Tamra, but my mother did not like the name Tammy. Mm. Oh, God. You as a Tammy? I know. Can you imagine? Tammy is just 20 miles down the road from Kim. Yes. 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 They are relatives, but they are distant relatives. They're cousins. Yes. They're cousins. They're, cousins. they're distant cousins. Yes. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think about that a lot. And like, certainly when I'm 70, it's going to be like, wow, that's an old lady named Jen. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Kim feels, I mean, I've always thought Kim was like, I mean, it's better than Kimberly, which is my full name. Yes. But it just, it just felt like kind of a cheesy name. I don't yes. know. Kim. Kim. Same, same. I I put two ends on it because I was like, give something to Jen. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's just such a comment. And then of course, it was always everybody had to combine the name and use the last name and and whatever. Which you know, I have a good last name, so you do. I have a good last name, so I'm happy with that. Anyway. Today, we're going to talk about friendship with Dr. Marissa Franco. Um, I am. I feel like somebody made a comment um, on your blog about us modeling friendship for other women. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, this is one of the best friendships I've ever had. We've really Aww. worked on this. Like, we really have worked on this. We've come a long way. We've come a long way. We, we really invested in it. So, yeah. Yep. And the other thing is we've done a lot of this work separately. Yes. Yes. We worked on ourselves and then came back together. Yes. So I'm excited to see what um, Dr. Franco has to tell us about friendship because other than you, I mean, and a couple other, but I have been known to be a slight disaster in friendship, especially in my (laughs) 20s. Like, Who wasn't? Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's get into it. Yeah. Dr. Franco is a professor at the University of Maryland. She writes for Psychology Today and has authored more than 20 research articles on loneliness, connection, and friendship. Her new book, Platonic, The Surprising New Science of Making and Keeping Friends as an Adult, will be published by Penguin Random House later this year and is available for pre-order now. Welcome, Marissa. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Yeah, we are super excited. We've been wanting to do an episode like this on friendship for a long time. Um, So I'm just going to start out with something we know the answer to viscerally, but I'd love to hear you talk about from a scientific perspective. Why is friendship so important? So many reasons. I think mental health, physical health, and sense of identity are the three major ones. Um, Research actually finds that loneliness is more toxic for our bodies than having a poor diet or not exercising. Like it's one of the number one predictors of how long we live. And being chronically lonely is akin to smoking 15 cigarettes a day and its impact on our bodies. Wow. Um, Wow. Yeah. 
So it, it's quite extreme how a lack of connection affects us. And then we also see in terms of mental health, one of the best things that we can do is develop a really close social support network. Um, there is a study that looked at 106 factors that influence our likelihood of getting depression. They found that the number one factor that prevents against depression is having someone to confide in. Oh, wow. Mm, wow. Yeah. And then last, just for our sense of who we are, we kind of figure out who we are by seeing ourselves represented in the people around us and having that ping of recognition, like, oh, that's me. And so I think for us to really develop a rich sense of our identity, we need to have friends. Yeah. Yeah. You, according to your research, the average American hasn't made a new friend in the last five years, but 40%, 45% of people would go out of their way to make a new friend if they only knew how. Why is it so much harder to make friends as we get older? And why is it so much harder for some people than others? Yeah. So here's the thing. We have been holding on to this myth that friendship happens organically because as kids it did. And that's because as kids, we had continuous unplanned interaction and shared vulnerability. Those are the ingredients for friendships to happen organically. And we had that in school, right? We had recess. Mm -hmm. We had classes together. We had gym together. But now as adults, we go into the workplace. And while we do have continuous unplanned interaction because we see each other every day for work, right, we don't have shared vulnerability. A lot of the times norms around professionalism means that I come to the job and all of a sudden I'm an employee and you don't know anything about me, even though you've, working, you've been working with me for years. And so we rely on that same structure that we could have relied on as kids, as adults, then we are not going to make friends because studies actually find that people that think friendship happens um, based on effort are less lonely years later, whereas people that see it as happening based on luck are more lonely years later. So that idea that it happens organically has a tangible impact on our ability to actually make and keep friends. And the people that are able to be successful at making friends, despite how hard it is, and I would say it's the hardest time in human history to make friends uh -huh. is right now. Um, what they know is that they have to initiate new friendships, that they can't wait for people to come to them. They meet someone they like and they say, it's been great to connect. I'd love to keep in touch. Um, they invite people out. I think another really important thing that we can do to make friends is create what I like to call friendship infrastructure, which means you are creating environments where you have continuous unplanned interaction and shared vulnerability. That could be you sign up for like an improv class or a language class. For me, it means I create regular interaction times with my friends. I say, let's do a biweekly dinner or let's do a monthly Spanish, you know, Spanish language exchange or let's do a monthly writing club. So that I know that whether I have to try or not, I'm automatically going to have connection fulfilling my week. How about, I mean, I have such fear of rejection around making new friends. And I feel like some of it is founded. Like I've, I've gone out and tried to make new friends and been rebuffed. Like, how do you get over that fear of rejection while you're putting, making yourself, you know, speaking of vulnerability, very vulnerable? Yeah. So, Kim, this is a great question. Um, my big piece of advice is to assume people like you. And <laughs> people think that sounds delusional, but I like to tell them about the science of something called the liking gap. So these researchers had strangers interact, and afterwards they asked the strangers, hey, how much do you like one another? And they found that, in fact, people underestimated how like they were, and that the <laughs> more self-critical they were, the even more pronounced this liking gap was, right? And the thing about assuming people like you. Um, there's this phenomenon called the acceptance prophecy. And research basically finds that when you assume people like you, it's more likely to become a self-fulfilling prophecy and to become mm -hmm. true. Why? Mm -hmm. 
Because when we are optimistic about our social interactions, we're warmer, we're more engaged, right? Um, we're more likely to initiate with other people, right? Do the types of things that make us friends. But when we assume people will reject us, we close off. We're cold, we're closed off. And then we think, you know, these people are just rejecting me. But in fact, we might have willed it through some of our behaviors because when you are very afraid of rejection, you tend to be unfriendly. So mm -hmm. assuming people like you will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. But like I said, you know, also, Kim, sometimes people might just reject you, right? And so what do you do with that? I think as a psychologist, I try to encourage people to think of it as a reward for engaging in the process rather than the outcome. Hmm. So if you want to be better at making friends, you succeeded by reaching out to initiate, not when that person said yes or no, because you're not in control of that outcome. Right. Right. What would you say to a woman? Uh, this sounds like a very asking for a friend question, <laughs> but what would you say to somebody who had no problem making friends in their 20s or 30s, but hit their 40s and 50s and found it was a whole other ball game? Yeah, I mean, that's real. I think our relationships really do change over time. Our needs change. Um, the sort of busyness of the people around us really changes with age. And that's why things can get really hard. I think it's certain for certain age brackets. You'll see, though, as people get into their 60s, all of a sudden everyone's retired, their kids left, mm -hmm. and everyone wants to make friends again. So it's an ebb and flow. It's not like, oh, it's hard now, so it's going to be hard, uh, the hardest ever for my life. But I always say, make friends with people that want to make friends. Like, don't try to force people that are like, I'm so busy, it's going to be hard for me to fit my schedule. You're not getting that reciprocity, right? Don't try to push those relationships. Mm -hmm. um, if you find specifically what I like to call transitioners, people at times of life transition tend to be very open to friendship, whether that's divorce, whether that's, you know, they move to a new city. So you can be strategic about finding transitioners through going to, let's say, a meetup group for people that are new to your city, right? Or through, you know, if that's, if you went through a divorce too, going to some sort of grief group or something, or, you know, a support group for people that have gone through divorce. Like being strategic about who you're connecting to is really, really important. And if someone doesn't want to connect with you, don't work harder, walk away, because there mm -hmm. are other people out there who do want to connect with you, who are similarly open, who are similarly invested in friendship. And the problem that I see is that people go out there, they try once, right? It's very scary, but they will themselves to do it once. They get a negative reaction. This other person is maybe too busy, has too much going on in their lives. And then they're just like, nobody wants to be friends. Like everybody's closed off. Everybody has their own cliques. Everybody has their own group. So one thing that I think is really important is just to retain optimism, right? Just because one person wasn't ready for your friendship doesn't mean that no one is. Okay. But I have a question. I have a question. I feel like I meet people I like and I have that initial, like we have a text back and forth or we meet at a party and then they seem to stall. The friendship seems to stall. I don't know how to bridge the gap from acquaintance to actual real friend. Yeah. And that's what I want. How do I yeah. do it? <laughs> <laughs> there is a few things that I would suggest for you. Um, so it's going to take obviously some continued action and investment, right? So following up, reaching out, it could be like, and it's hard to know how to do this because everybody has a different openness to how much they want to hang out with a new friend. <laughs> and we don't know what that is, right? Um, so just sort of checking in, asking to hang out, you know, maybe waiting two weeks or so and then being like, hey, you know, I want to check in. Do you have some time available? I'd love to meet up, right? Making sure that you're not just letting it die and letting it fizzle, which is what most of us do. But at the point at which you're comfortable and or if you simply find a common interest, 
you want to create that friendship infrastructure with this person. So, hey, like, I've really enjoyed hanging out with you. You know, I've been doing, like, walks every Monday morning. Is that something that you'd be open to? Would you like to, like, do a, a biweekly walk together or something like that? Or, you know, I know we're both really into yoga. I've joined this, like, yoga studio. I was wondering if you wanted to come to, to this yoga class with me. Or I've been really wanting to start a book club. Like, or is that something you're open to? Like, maybe once a month we can just hang out and do a book club. Like, once you can turn that friendship into something that's continuous and repeated – it's just going to be so, so, so much easier. That being said, you don't have to do it. The alternative route is just, hey, keep checking out, check, keep checking in, keep asking to hang out. Um, but the thing about that is it's going to make you have to face your fears of rejection over and over and over again, rather than if you have something continuous, it's already in the schedule. So you're able to bypass some of those fears of rejection by making something more repeated. Yes, this is kind of a weird question, but... Um... I went through a period um, after a difficult period in my life when I lost a lot of friends. I felt a huge amount of shame around the fact that I didn't have as many friends as I used to. How do you get over? How does one get over like just feeling embarrassed because they don't have enough friends and or they don't they're not you know, their needs aren't being met and it feels like a personal failing? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question, Kim. I would say if you are feeling like you're lacking in friends, in friends, you are the average person. <laughs> um, you're not an anomaly. You're not atypical. In fact, you are the most common. I think the most common sort of situation that we have is people don't feel like they have enough friends. Um, you know, loneliness is, is so rampant. Up to 50% of people report being lonely. So statistically speaking, you are wildly not alone. I know it's not something we talk about, but it's it's the state of affairs now that like being lonely is more normal than being not lonely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so there's really, I think, no shame to be had when you realize the scope of the issue and that you are, I think, you know, thinking about yourself as a byproduct of a larger culture that has made it really hard really hard on people to make friends, right? I mean, there's various factors that contribute to this. We have a convenience culture now where we are sacrificing social interaction for conveniences, like mm -hmm. people delivering stuff at your door, or I take an Uber to the airport rather than ask my friend, right? Like money has kind of replaced the role of friendship in our society right now. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, social media too, and social media has very complex relationships with relation with friendship, which I can talk about a little later. But but overall, we see the picture is that it's, it's kind of decreasing our, our ability to make and sustain friendship. So what I just say is like, there's no shame to be had. And in fact, like if we all understood <laughs> the research and the statistics, you would know that like you are plain, you are average if you feel mm -hmm. like you're really struggling with friends, like you are part of this larger culture. You are, you know, you are very American <laughs> in yeah. your issue. It would have been very comforting to hear that at the time. <laughs> I have a question. So what are, what would you say are the common mistakes people make as they're trying to build new friendships. Yeah. I think a mistake is when we rely on other people. We think Her. people should come to me, mm. you know? People should overcome my walls. People should want to be friends with me. And if you want to be a good friend, you have to think a lot more about how you're treating people than just simply thinking about how they're treating you. I mean, that's important too. But um, when we are in a state of insecurity, for example, we tend to take on Narcissistic is a strong word, but we tend to be very self-focused when we're feeling insecure. We think mm -hmm. a lot more about how other people have harmed us than how we have harmed people, right? And so if you want to make friends, I think the other issue that we have is that we don't understand what, what positions us to make friends. 
we might think, oh, if I'm cool, smart, interesting, people are going to want to be friends with me. That's not it. People want to be friends with someone that makes them feel valued and loved and like they matter. In fact, being entertaining was the least important trait people rated um, in what they're looking for as a friend. The first important trait was ego support, which was people are looking for someone who makes them feel good about themselves and good about who they are. And so instead of trying to be someone cool or charismatic, instead be someone who's interested in other people and who praises other people and who says to other people how much you value them and who does thoughtful things for people in your life because that is what's really going to help you make friends. The other thing that I see is that people think that vulnerability is a burden and they're invulnerable. They think people want to be friends with someone who's strong and who's polished. When in fact, we know from the science, you know, this study summarized all the research that's out there, found that the more people intimately self-disclose about themselves, the more liked they are by other people. We have a bias to underestimate the positive impact of our vulnerability. It's called the beautiful mess effect. Because we only think about how it's coming off negatively, we don't think about how it's coming off as positive, as honest, as authentic, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're, you know, never being vulnerable, always trying to come up as poised and perfect, then you might actually be harming yourself when it comes to making friends because people want to know who you truly are um, to make friends with you. Let's take a quick break for some ads. And we're back. We've been talking a lot about making friends, but one of the other things that you... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin. And I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. 
But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. Sera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule, essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump. And Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long. And I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it. Do it. Ah. Okay. So you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. Talk about a lot is sustaining friendship. Um, what are some of the healthy ways to maintain a friendship? Yeah. So, I mean, it's similar to some of the things that I've talked about with making friends. Like you have to invest and you have to initiate. Please, you know, being in this place where you're sort of like effortless, taken for granted, I'm not going to try. Um, you have, you know, just like a romantic relationship, how much, how much do we have to do to upkeep our romantic relationships? And right. yet we think in friendships, we don't have to do anything at all. And that's just so untrue. Like relationships are relationships. We don't need to put this compartmentalization as to like what we do in our friendships and what we do in our romantic partnerships, because fundamentally what we've learned helps our romantic partnerships, helps friendships, helps relationships in general. So you need to check in with people. You need to invest. You need to show people you love and value them. You need to have new experiences with your friends. Like all of these things are very, very important. The other thing that I think is really important for maintaining friendships is being able to have healthy conflict. Um, I think I see how, you know, people are less likely to talk through conflict with their friends than they are with their romantic partners. We know that according to the research. And instead, they just kind of hold it against their friend without giving their friend a chance. Like it's like holding someone guilty before giving them a chance to sit in front of a jury when you like kind of hold on to this, this like this grudge you have against a friend, but you don't give them a chance. You don't have that conversation with them. And I think the problem is that we think conf conflict has to look a certain way, like antagonistic. I'm attacking you, right? Yeah. And we're both trying to like get our point across. But no, conflict can be an act of love. It can be you saying to a friend, this friendship is so important to me. I don't want, I want to make sure that nothing gets in between us. So I wanted to make sure that I brought this up and I want to hear your perspective too, right? And then using those I statements, like I felt X when you did this, I would love for this to happen. Like, what was your experience of that? It can be very, very collaborative. And people don't realize that open conflicts actually related to deeper intimacy over time. It actually benefits our relationships. And there's this um, psychoanalyst, Virginia Goldner. I really like her. And she talks about the difference between flaccid safety, which is when you feel safety because you're pretending there's no problems. And then there's this like 
this deeper version of safety that you can access when you're willing to rupture and repair and be honest about it. And for me, I think that's one of the things that's really changed since I've studied friendship is that I actually address problems with friends. And I've I've just been shocked by how much it can and it can actually bring us closer. I'm so curious about that because I'm sure that you're right. But at the same time, one of the things that's helped me as I've gotten older um, in friendship was recognizing that certain friends fulfill certain functions. You know, I have a friend who has been insanely loyal to me, but I never talk to her when I'm feeling depressed because I know that she simply doesn't have the skills to, to help when I'm depressed. She doesn't really believe in depression. And I have other friends who are just my, like, quick and easy friends. And it, it yeah. seems like that avoids a lot of conflict by acknowledging, like, here's what this person can do for me and here's what they will never do for me. Yeah. But what she's saying is that there's not that, – that, that, that you're lacking in intimacy then. You're, you're, you're missing the opportunity for true emotional intimacy with that friend by no, not addressing that. that. I mean, but maybe that person doesn't have the capacity. I – I'm wondering if what we're talking about here is also understanding people's limitations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think the thing is that sometimes having these conversations, your friend might be like, you know, this isn't my strong suit, to be honest. And that's also healing to be like, oh, now I know. Like now, now I know this isn't personal. Now I know like how to set my expectations around this friendship, right? Like if we can just be honest about what we're willing to give and what we're not willing to give, then I think that's very beneficial. And I think Jennifer, I think you bring up a great point, right? Like accepting that each relationship provides us with different things is a great way to approach friendship instead of imposing what we want and need onto every single person. And it's healthy even in a romantic relationship to realize one person can't do everything for you. And similarly, I think we need to recognize that in friendship. But I think what, I, what I'm saying too is that there might be a point where friends, a friend doesn't show up for you in a way that hurts you enough that you feel like you're withdrawing, right? Uh -huh. Even if you have that mindset, there still might be a point where you feel like you're withdrawing. And that's the point where you have to talk about the conflict because if you don't, clearly the, the friendship is being ruined anyway, right? So if you're afraid having this conflict is going to ruin the friendship, but you're withdrawing from it, <laughs> and so it's right. going downhill either way, that's the point at which you have to have the conflict. And, you know, there's this researcher, Jeff Simpson, you know, his research basically found, you know, we tend to just leave our friends instead of talking through things. And, and he said that what he did is he tried to get people to ask themselves, what does this friendship bring me that no other relationship in my life does? to actually motivate people to have that conflict, have that discussion instead of just backing away. Right. Can we talk for a minute about friendship breakups? Because they seem to me to be as painful as relationship breakups. I mean, the couple times in my life that that has happened. And I'm also curious if you are um, in favor of friendship breakups or if you think that you should really keep a person around regardless. Yeah. Well, I think just to normalize this thing, <laughs> research actually finds that every seven years we lose about half our friends. So hmm. it's really Amazing. normal. Yeah. Wow. Really, really normal again for that breakup process to be occurring. Um, so again, like no shame about it. I think sometimes we feel like, man, what's wrong with me? Me and my friends are different. We've outgrown each other. And that's also just very, very normal right? It's, it, it doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. We are all growing. We're all changing. We are all evolving. And that doesn't mean that any, that's any, anything's wrong with anyone. 
I would say that friendship breakups are very painful. Well, first of all, I'll just mention that most of our friendships end not because we've actively broken up with them, but because they fizzled out and nobody contacted each other, which is why initiative is really important. If you if you don't want to be part of that statistic of you know losing half your friends every seven years. But for those where we do break up, the reason that it's so painful is because we heal in community, like as social creatures. When we go through a trauma, when we go through a loss, one of the best things that we could do is turn towards our community to help us process the loss and get support and not feel alone. But the problem is there are certain types of losses that our community doesn't value as a true or real loss. Miscarriages, infertility, loss of pets, and friendship. So what does that mean? That often when we lose friends, we experience something called disenfranchised grief which is when you have trouble processing your grief because your community doesn't validate the depth of the loss. And so that's why, you know, I interviewed someone for my book and they were like, it's been 10 years and I still cry when I see her Instagram account, you know, why people are still having that acute grief reaction because they just haven't had the space to process it. And what happens is when we see that reaction from others around us, we internalize it and we, our internal dialogue is, why am I making such a big deal of this? Like, why can't I let this go? Like, what's wrong with me, right? And that's the worst thing you could do for grief. Like, grief needs to be felt. It needs to be validated. It needs to be seen. It needs to, you know, we need to give it its space to, to work through us, to work through our bodies. So that is one of the big reasons why grieving a friendship breakup can just be so, so hard. <sighs> Oh my God. I have so many things I want to talk to you about. I can't, I, my <laughs> mind is just lit up. Okay. But okay. You're blowing my mind. Okay. One thing I found really interesting is you've said that maintaining friendship is a process, not just of behaviors, but of fundamentally reconciling with how we view ourselves. Can you talk about that? Cause I think that that not feeling unlovable, being afraid to be seen, you know, all of those things play into friendships for me almost more than romantic relationships, to be honest, you know, because it's a different, it's a different intimacy and, you know, women tend to know women in a different way, you know, and see women in a different way than maybe not all men, this is a stereotype, but you know, anyway, I want to talk about that part of like, of how, how we view ourselves. Yeah. So I think if we feel really insecure and negative about ourselves, two things may happen that may may harm our friendships. The first is we may feel like we need to be someone else to make friends with people and we are inauthentic around other people. And what happens is I define inauthenticity as a form of loneliness. I don't think that you can feel connected to someone and inauthentic at the same time. And in fact, when there's periods of times where I do feel disconnected, To my close friends, I often look at why and I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling completely authentic in this relationship. Like I've withdrawn or I didn't share this important thing about me. Um, And that's why I feel disconnected. And so that that I think is part of the reason why if you have insecurities, you may have friends, you may have people you hang out with, but you won't actually feel connected to them unless you're authentic. The other thing that happens is this is there's a study. This was actually on romantic couples, but I think it still applies. And when people in the partnership were asked, how much do you think your partner loves you? Their assumption about how much their partner loved them was more highly correlated to how they felt about themselves than how much their partner actually felt about them. (laughs) So what happens is when we feel bad, when we feel insecure, we tend to assume that everybody else thinks we suck too, because we think we suck. 
And what happens then is that we filter out all the ways that people are loving us. We don't notice. We have this sort of confirmation bias of sorts, right? And so people can, in our lives can be doing all these nice things for us or trying to engage with us. And we can say, you know, that doesn't matter because they were just doing it because X, Y, Z reason, not because they actually like me, right? So we don't actually take in and receive other people's love. And that's very frustrating for people because it's vulnerable for them to give us love. And when we keep sort of pushing it away because it bites at some of our insecurities, then they're less likely to give us that love all the time. And so there can be this sort of unfortunate self-sabotaging loop based on our insecurities that we can end up sort of pushing people away because we can't read the extent to which they love and value us. What if you've decided this person I'm friends with is not a good person? Like, <laughs> I don't respect this person. No, yeah. I'm kind of serious. Like, yeah. what do you do? What do yeah. you do? Yeah. How do you how do you ease yourself away from somebody when you realize like, eh, actually, no? Yeah. That's a good question. I think the route. So here's the hard thing about studying friendship, Kim. There are no rules. So everybody's confused all the time. It's not like a romantic relationship where you're like, we'll just file for divorce, you know, like <laughs> it's just. And then I ask people on my Instagram account, like, if a friend doesn't want to be friends with you, would you rather they tell you or would you rather they just back away? And right. literally the answers are split in half. Half the people say, tell me, tell me, tell me. Half the people are saying, just back away, spare my feelings. So what I've, what I've come to think about this is if the other person similarly seems like they want to back away or less invested, then I think you can just take that route, right? You can just let bygones be bygones. If you're not reaching out to them, they're not reaching out to you, then you don't necessarily need to have a conversation about it. But let's say you realize you don't want to be friends. They're still very invested in you. They're still reaching out all the time. I think at that point, you have to have a conversation and you have to say like, hey, you know, I valued our friendship for all of these ways, but I'm feeling like we may not be compatible. And I just wanted to make sure I was being upfront and transparent with you um, instead of backing away in an underhanded way. And that what that's going to do for the other person, it's, it's going to help them process their grief, right? Because when we ghost, it's to protect our us from feeling uncomfortable emotions, but instead we amplify the uncomfortable emotions of the other person, right? So the right. mature the mature thing to do is just to be like, this is why it's not working out for me. This is what's going on for me in this relationship. Not attacking them, but just saying, you know, I'm feeling like, you know, we have different values or we have different interests here. Maybe we're just like not compatible at the level that I really want. And um, what you'll do for them is that you will help them in their grief process because when we don't give people that closure, we tend to trigger something called ambiguous loss. Ambiguous loss is, I can't grieve this because I don't have any meaning making as to why this happened. And what that leads to is people end up ruminating on it more, stressing about it more, thinking about it more than if they just were able to have a conversation and understand the reasoning for why you're trying to back away. You know, a close friend of mine um, had a had a, a ver an even closer friend of hers um, just ghost her, just dump her after years and years and years and years of friendship. And she said, I only think about it every day. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's awful. <laughs> I know, but they can do that to you. Friendships can really like, you know. Well, but I do think it's this thing that we're not, sorry to interrupt you. I think it's this thing that we're not treating them the way we would treat a romantic relationship. Yeah. And I mm -hmm. think that, you know, I, I have a friend who I, 30 year friendship, we had a big breakup a couple of years ago. 
I look at that person's Instagram account almost every day. I'm, I'm not over it. The breakup was not, I don't feel resolved. I don't feel closure. I feel ashamed of how I behaved, you know, I, I, and if it was a romantic relationship, I would have exited it in a different way. It just didn't, there was, like you said, there's no rules around the exit, you know, and I don't even know if we should have exited, you know, it's, it's hard to know, which brings me to a point I want to talk about, which is what about our legacy friendships? You know, the, the really old, important relationships with people that you might not have a lot in common with anymore, but you have all this shared history. Yeah. I, I don't want to let those go often. And I feel like we don't want to let those go often because there's, there's all these memories together, but how do you serve each other in the present day? Yeah, this is a great question. And this is something that I do think is magical about friendship, which is that friendship, I think distinct from a romantic relationship or even a family relationship, it can occur on such a spectrum, right? So if we have an issue with a friend, we don't need to be like, we're not friends anymore. We can be like, okay, we're going from very close friends to maybe medium close friends or medium close friends to maybe low close friends. I, you know, I use this term low dose friends. Like there's people that I'm like, I like you at a low dose, you know, like I like you when I see you once a month. <laughs> if I see you once a week, it's going to be a different story. But for the once a month, like this is great. And so I think if we feel like there's those friends, you know, we have all these shared memories. I want to keep this person in my life, but not at that same level, maybe of the past. Then you can just sort of think about what does it look like to dial this relationship down if you don't necessarily want to end it. I think the other thing that's really important to do is I think when it comes to, to those sorts of friendships, we tend to hold on to them because we compare them to what they were at their peak, right? Mm -hmm. That's our anchor of comparison. Okay, how it is now to how it was at its best, right? And that doesn't necessarily need to be the anchor point, right? Because like you can have a different anchor point than this relationship at its peak. You can decide that this anchor point is like what I expect from my friendships right now and that's what I'm going to compare this to, like what I'm getting out of this friendship versus what I, you know, want out of my friendships in this moment rather than what I how our relationship was in the past. So, I think we can also think about what does it look like to change your anchor point of comparison for this friendship? And does that change how much you value the friendship or you don't value the friendship? You want to invest in it. You don't want to invest in it, right? Like if you met this person now, would you still want to be friends with them? And if so, at what level of closeness would you want to be friends with them? I think all of those, all of those are really important questions to ask yourself when you're deciding on continuing a friendship when the compatibility has sort of changed. I think one nice thing about like the friendships I have that are legacy friendships is that they already peaked. They had their sort of, you know, when women are in their 20s and 30s, there's an intensity to the friendship that changes. But the, well, I'm thinking of one friendship in general, the amount of like honesty we have with each other and the amount of vulnerability and all of that is so much greater than it ever was before. Yeah, I see that. I see that too. I wonder about boundaries, both sort of outbound and inbound. You know, I, I find I don't ever really know how much is okay to expect from a friend. And I find that I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not this stupid, but I do find that like, I, I don't always know how much to expect from a new friend. And I also don't know always how to set a boundary without retreat. Yeah. 
Yeah. So for the second point, boundaries without retreat, right? I think a lot of the times we do think about boundaries as absolute when they don't necessarily have to be. Sometimes they might have to be, but sometimes we can say, hey, you know, I am not able to come pick you up at the airport this time around, but maybe next time I'll be free, right? Or, hey, I'm not able to help with babysitting for the whole four hours, but I can come by for an hour. Or, you know, like, what else can you offer? If you can't offer what they're looking for, is there something else that you might be able to offer them, right? So instead of thinking about it as like, I am going to be completely comfortable and I'm going to leave you in the state of discomfort, (laughs) um, is there a way that I could try to meet your needs given my capacity right now? And maybe it's not, I fully meet your needs, right? Mm -hmm. But maybe it's, I give you, I give you a little bit, I give you a little bit, even while I'm still able to sort of preserve the boundary that I need to preserve. Um, I think about boundaries as a way to, you know, Prentice Tempel is the somatic practitioner and they say like, boundaries of the distance at which I can love you and myself at the same time. And Hmm. I think that's a really beautiful way of putting it. I think for me, like I've come to see boundaries, my own and my friends as um, a way to, to love the relationship because it's saying I'm setting this boundary so that I don't build negative feelings to you over time. Right. So that I don't resent you over time. And so I'm doing this to, to make sure that we are healed, that our relationship stays healthy Um, and then, then that's something when I see it that way, and even in myself, like thinking about boundaries is like, this is something that I need to set. So I don't act out against this friendship. Right. So if, if I, you know, take care of this friend's pet for like five days and I have a lot going on in my life, I know that I'm going to feel resentful for this friend, let's say. And I'm like, I don't want to feel that way towards my friend. Like I want to feel positively towards my friend. And I think about that boundary as like really a way to stay close to my friend then because then I won't have those like negative feelings towards them that's going to get in the way of our friendship. So I think just reframe around how we think of boundaries. We often think of it as, I don't know, more negative or some sort of selfish, but just boundaries are also an act of love. I think it's a way for us to like stay close over time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kim, what? Jenny seems so emotional. <laughs> I am so emotional. I'm just like, oh my god, this is like, oh, blo- this is really opening my mind. I feel like you're just addressing so many, like, you're just really pinpointing with real accuracy and real precision the problems we have in friendship, the the vulnerability, the the lack of vulnerability, the fear that you're not going to be accepted, and then the retreat, not having the confidence to say, hey, you know, that doesn't really work for me. And instead of being like, that person's bad, you know, like yeah. all of the bullshit yeah. patterns we have around friendship that have ultimately what to do with, you know, everything to do with how we feel about ourselves, you know? Is there any sort of last like advice you would give, like for a woman, this is a show for women over four. Is there any sort of last advice you would just really give, like, this is how to do it? I think something that I would say is that our friendships ebb and they flow, and there's going to be moments of closeness and moments of distance in any friendship. And so that means that when we begin to experience some distance in a friendship we felt close to, that that might just be a chapter in the story rather than the end of the story. I think that's really important to remember, the ebb and flow. Um, The other thing that I can say around, you know, protecting ourselves and our friendships being a reflection of how we feel about ourselves, too, is that there's this really interesting theory that I came across while writing my book. It's called risk regulation theory. And risk regulation theory basically argues that 
oftentimes we are either protecting ourselves or our relationships. We are either in pro-self mode or pro-relationship mode. Let me explain that further, right? If I'm fearing rejection and I'm in a place of protecting myself, so I don't trust people, I don't initiate with people, I'm not vulnerable with people, I'm not telling people how much I like and value them, that feels like it's benefiting me because I'm not as vulnerable to being exploited. But in fact, it's harming my friendships. So indirectly, it's not necessarily going to benefit me. That's not to say that you should never be in self-protection mode because there are friendships that you should be, or, or relationships that are lower quality that you should be in self-protection mode in, right? And But to be in pro-relationship mode, what that means is to be in a place where we're ready to connect with people, we need to be lower in our level of self-protection. That inevitably connecting with people makes us more vulnerable. There's no way to be invulnerable and connected at the same time. If we want to be in pro-relationship, pro-friendship mode, we have to be vulnerable to rejection. We have to be vulnerable to sharing things and people aren't responding in the same way. You know, we have to be vulnerable to someone breaking our trust because that's what, what, that's what re is required for the risks of connection inevitably. So if you're someone who's really, really focused on protecting yourself, it's easy to see how that benefits you but just consider the impact of that on your friendships and your relationships. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Marissa, this has been just amazing. Thank you so much. This is, we've wanted to do this episode for a long time and you really brought it. You really brought <laughs> it. <Happy to> <laughs> uh, Marissa, where can people find you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at Dr. Marissa G. Franco. That's D-R-M-A-R-I-S-A-G-F-R-A-N-C-O at my website, www.drmarissagfranco.com. You can take a free quiz to assess your strengths and weaknesses as a friend and sign up for my newsletter every month. I share um, a newsletter on the research of connection and friendship. And last, feel free to pre-order my book. That would help me a lot. <laughs> I go into a lot more depth into some of the topics I talked about here today. So you can just find it online. It's called Platonic, The Surprising New Science of How to Make and Keep Friends as an Adult. Excellent. Thanks again. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you, Marissa. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Before we go today, we want to read some of the listener reviews like we've been doing. And in case anybody doesn't know, Kim, do you want to tell them what we've been doing? We have been requesting that you write five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, which we will then read on the air. Yes, that's what we're doing. It's a little bit corny, but it's really helping the show be found by other people because of the algorithm and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, thank you so much for leaving these. I'm going to start reading the first one. You ready, Kim? I'm ready. Okay. This is from Org Mom. Title is Big Sisterly. How lucky, pun not intended, but kind of funny now that I'm seeing it, I feel each time I listen to Kim and Jen and their guests as they dole out the truth, smart advice, laughs, and validation of my early middle age experience. Very nice. Very nice. Yes. The, I have to say the other thing about these 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 reviews is that they've been very good for our confidence. They really have. I hate to say that, but they really have made me feel... Like people are enjoying the show. Like you, you know, you put work out in the world, like into a vacuum and you never know. And people are more likely to get, leave negative comments than positive ones. I don't know why. I guess that's a stronger emotion. But anyway, this has been helping a lot. Yes. Okay. Here's one from Tabitha Wexler titled Life After 40. I love this podcast. It's shockingly unfiltered and honest conversations between the hosts. It feels like dropping in on a coffee date with friends who you don't always agree with, but really enjoy chatting with. For anyone who grew up on Sassy and Lucky, listening Kim to Kim today is a delight. Isn't that sweet? It's so sweet. And I agree. You are a delight. 
Oh, and you as well. Okay. This is from Jay Electra. In spite, in spiteful, insightful, inspiring, relevant to those navigating other life phases like conclusion of paid employment, quote, exuberant transitions, well known as retirement. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. And here is one from the last acceptable ism, age, which I'm guessing isn't their real name. Yes. <laughs> and not enough people are talking about it. These two are. Bravo. All right. That's a nice one. That's a nice one. Okay. Finally, something for the cool kids. Love listening to the ones that really know because they are going or have gone through it. Thank you, ladies. Just keeps getting better. Mm. I'm going to read this one. Okay. Called Magazine Vibes. Okay. I love Kim's point of view, and Jennifer always says something that's strangely meaningful. The best was, I'd rather hang out with slackers. Your conversations capture a mood that I've been missing. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, smart, funny, original, and, and I can't read the rest of this headline because Apple cuts it off. Because honest. Honest. Oh, and honest. Wow. I can't, mine doesn't, I'm telling you, the user experience sometimes on this app, no offense, Apple. Um, I agree. Not that they would take an offense. Uh, <laughs> Listening to these two is the best cure for the Mondays there is. I'm amazed at how often they hit on things I've been thinking, and whether I agree or not, it's always an insightful conversation. Whether it's the two of them alone or with a guest, I'm always entertained and enlightened. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. This, the, it, 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 I have to say, this is so nice to get these reviews. It really, it really helps. It helps. All right, two, two more. Um. Makes growing older a little more fun. As a former sassy groupie, how fun it is to reconnect with the same people slash vibe now in middle age. I've been so entertained, educated, and comforted by your conversations. Keep talking. And then there's a PS that says, Kim has the best laugh. I would be in heaven if she ever laughed at something I said. <laughs> this is from Snoopy Sauce. Yes. Can I just say that nobody before this podcast ever <laughs> in my life remarked on my laugh? <laughs> I don't even know if I ever noticed your laugh before doing this podcast, to be honest. But I mean, you do have an incredible laugh. I just hearing it in an audio form, it's um, it's it's a striking laugh. It's a good laugh. Good, good. Yeah. I have a, a lame name, but a good laugh. <laughs> okay, this is from Sam Fine. Everything is fine. I look forward to listening to this podcast every episode. Each time I listen, it seems Jen and Kim pull a thought right out of my head and bring it into the sunlight to look at it, examine it from all angles, make sense of it, and truly let me know I am not alone. Thank you, universe, for helping me to happen upon this one. Oh, super sweet. Super nice. Thank you. All right. Listen, we're going to be doing this each week. Yeah. If we haven't read yours yet, be patient because we got a lot to get through. We have a lot to get through. We love this. Thank you for doing this. It means the world to us. And thank you for listening to Everything is Fine. We're your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, just like we've been talking about, rate and review it on all the platforms. It really makes a difference. If you want to support the production of the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com backslash everything is fine. We host live events. We just hosted one last week. You can join them there. We are on Instagram at EIF Podcast. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. 
You can email us at everythingisfinethepodcast at gmail.com. You can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. And you can find me at tinyletter.com backslash Jennifer Romolini. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.